TorahCafe.com. Hi. Sukkot has to be one of the most visually compelling and sensory of all of the Jewish holidays. What I would like for us today to do is explore the four species, particularly one of them, which is the lulav, the one that we actually say the blessing over. Now we are taught that whatever exists on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but in potential, manifests on Sukkot in a way of revelation. I'll give you a little example. One of the things that our sages tell us is that the sukkah is actually the schach, the covering of the sukkah is a manifestation of the incense that rose on Yom Kippur. So on Yom Kippur there was special incense that produced smoke that rose heavenward and the revelations of that act come down almost like an equivalent of the settling of the smoke as the covering on our sukkah. So whatever was there in a hidden state on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur manifests in a revealed way on Sukkot. And one of the ways we see this is through the four species. On, on the high holy days we're speaking very much and connecting with this notion that we are all one. We are united in, as one nation. The interesting thing though is that one nation is described just as a nation. When it comes to Sukkot, we have touched that universal point amongst us and now are able to manifest our own individuality and yet still maintain our unity. That's a really unusual skill. You know, you could say that Communist Russia was all about the group. Sacrifice the individual for the sake of the group. America, on the other hand, is very much about sacrificing the group for the sake of the individual. To achieve that balance between the fact that individuals have their, their rights and they have their personalities and can put themselves out there, but they don't compromise the group and the group doesn't compromise the individual, this is a Torah ideal. And what we see on Sukkot is that having experienced that abstract unity where our own individuality is almost uh, effaced for a minute, we manage to come to our fullest individuality on Sukkot. This unity is made up of the four species, the etrog or the beautiful citrus fruit that we hold, the lulav, which is the palm, the palm branch. Hadas is the myrtle, and the arava is the willow plant. And the Medrash tells us that these different species all are bound together, they are each unique, and we bind them together, and they atone one for the other. Now let's just look at those species for a moment. Each one of them has either or neither or both of taste and fragrance. So the, et, the etrog, for example, has a beautiful smell and it also has a delicious taste. And this, the Medrash tells us, uh, teaches us that it can be compared to people who have both 
uh, good deeds and Torah learning. Whereas when we come to the lulav, so here it's coming from a kapot tmarim, these are leaves that come from a date tree, which has delicious dates, the sweetest of all fruit. So the lulav represents those people who have a taste, which is Torah learning, but they don't have good deeds. Now, I want to qualify it. It doesn't mean here that they don't have good deeds at all, because our sages tell us that if you have learning and no deeds, you don't even have learning. So clearly, we're not speaking about someone who doesn't have good deeds at all. We mean someone who is primarily involved in learning and has the basic minimum of good deeds. So that's compared to, uh, that kind of person is compared to a plant that has taste, Torah, but no fragrance. And the reason that we have this difference is because when you study the Torah, there's something delightful about it that is like taste. I grasp it. I take it into myself. Whereas a mitzvah, on the other hand, is something that is much more um, all-encompassing, like a fragrance. I don't actually imbibe it and take it into myself. Then we have the third species, which is the myrtle. And this myrtle has a delicious fragrance but no taste. So that's like the, the, the portion of our people, those, those Jews who are very involved in doing goodness to others but they're not actually that involved. It doesn't mean they don't learn at all, just as with the lulav, um, he, the, that person has action and not just learning. So too, the myrtle person has learning but the primary focus is on, is on good deeds. And then we have the arava, the, um, the willow that has neither. Uh, at another time we can discuss what that actually means because the, the, our sages tell us none of us are actually divested and empty of, of uh, good deeds, certainly. Um, but at the most basic level it means someone whose, whose life is not, uh, is not uh, in a conscious way connected to Torah and mitzvahs. And we have to take these four individual species, like each one of us is an individual, bind them together. Binding them together is making one entity, and because of the way they exist in relationship to each other, they atone one for the other. I cannot accomplish on my own what you can do for me, and I can do something for you. We are healing and fixing each other through coming together in our unity. So what we see is that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's an undifferentiated unity. Then we manifest as individuals, and on Sukkot, we bind ourselves together, and our uniqueness begins to heal and rectify the others that are around me, and I receive the same healing benefit from another person. Now, Hasidus asks the following question. If we look at... The, the species, it would seem that the highest, the most noble of them all, is the etrog. So why do we say a blessing, on the, on the uh, shaking of the lifting or waving of the lulav? Why do we not say the blessing on the, on the etrog? It's all four together, or we could say, I'm, taking, I'm saying a blessing on the four species. Why are we singling out this lulav. <clears throat> In order to answer that, we really need to first understand the difference 
between Torah study and mitzvahs. What is the different effect that results from being engaged in one of those two activities? In order to answer this question, we need to look at the difference between study of Torah and doing action, mitzvot. What do they result in? How are they different? And that will enable us to come back and look at this question, why do we say the blessing over the lulav? Our sages compare mitzvot to organs of the body. Now, that analogy can apply in many different ways. I would say what's relevant for us here is as follows. My organs, whether it's my hands, the inner organs, they are not they are not who I am. That's not my soul. And they are subordinate to my will. So if I tell my feet, walk, then my feet are going to walk. If I tell my hand up or down, close or open, it's completely nullified to my inner will. So too when we do a mitzvah. When you act on behalf of God in alignment with God's will, you are taking your being and subordinating it to God. It may not feel comfortable. You may feel like you really want that cheeseburger or you don't want to dress in a certain way or wake up in the morning and pray. Whatever it is, I put myself aside and I'm there for God. That's like the organs of the body putting themselves aside and being there for me, for my own will. So mitzvot are compared to the organs which surrender themselves. Studying Torah is very different. As we've discussed before, Torah is the mind, the consciousness of God. And when I study the Torah, I am binding my own awareness, my own consciousness with that of God. This accomplishes a very different kind of unity. It's quite obvious. When you bend the knee or bow or the organs of the body the, the, do what they're supposed to do, they're nullified to something higher. They exist, but they surrender their will for the sake of something higher. When it comes to, mitzvah, to mitzvahs, there's always me submitting myself to God. When it comes to Torah, I can be fully united with God. And it is a result of this that we say the blessing on the lulav because the lulav symbolizes the highest means that we have of connecting with our Creator. Through taking our consciousness and binding it with the mind of God, delving deeply into study of Hashem's Torah. Even though, as our sages tell us, one who has only Torah and no deeds doesn't even have Torah. That study has to be for the purpose of knowing God just in our consciousness and also applying it to daily life, bringing it down into the world and doing something with it. Now when we look at the lulav, we see that we have to move it in different directions. When we hold those four species, all of them are being moved, but actually the tip of the lulav is what goes out the most. That's where there's the most movement. And many people have a, a, a custom, they are particular, as they move the lulav to the six different uh, directions of the cube, 
they kind of gently shake, so as not to open those leaves, gently shake the lulav. So these are the nine nuim. And the, the shaking, the movement of the lulav captures something of what deeper of what we're talking about over here, which is becoming one with God. In our work to unite with Hashem, with God, we have to realize that there always has to be movement. We cannot be stagnant. So, for example, if you have a look <coughs> at uh, yeshiva students sitting and learning, they're always rocking backwards and forwards. Or maybe your rabbi <coughs> speaks and moves backwards and forwards. Where does this notion come from? Like that lulav moving it backwards and forwards in, in different directions. Our our soul is compared to a flame that is continuously moving. We're trying, we, are, we, we have to be changing and growing all the time as we come closer to Hashem, to God. At the same time, we have to realize what I'm really after is not in one place. I cannot say, you know what, right here, that's where the answer is. God's Torah is infinite. It's broader than the whole universe, than the earth, and, and wider than the ocean. I cannot say, I found it in this place. So as I'm working in my study, I move backwards and forwards. It's not like a silent meditation of just going in. I'm looking for that truth. And somewhere in that search of the movement is an acknowledgement of my own limitations. I don't know the truth. It is there, it is much bigger than me, and I'm moving backwards and forwards. So we move the lulav, and the lulav represents Torah study. That's how we move when we study. We, we move as well when we pray. Always about looking in those spaces for the essence of the Creator. One question remains. If we're speaking here about the greatness of Torah, we're not saying the blessing on the etrog and not on the willow and not on the myrtle, it's on the lulav. The question is, why do I not take the date itself? The date is what is tasty and delicious. The date is like logical, rational reasoning that I'm, I am uh, sweetened by in my study and that really that's the thing that binds and unites me with God. So why then do I take the leaves? At some level if you think about it the lulav is very similar to the willow. That's for another time at the end of Sukkot when we have Hoshana Rabbah we take these willow leaves and there's a whole ceremony with them as well. You'll see the connection now. When <clears throat> we're thinking of learning that is like a date, that's where my own ego might be involved. It's so delicious. It's so inspiring. I'm so gratified and vivified by it. The learning has too much of me there. The highest kind of learning is, of course I bring myself in, but as we said with the Nanuim, I'm looking for what's between the spaces. I know that God is greater than anything I could imagine. You know, if I will learn everything to the extent that I can, <clears throat> I don't really have one drop in the ocean worth 
of what the Torah has to hold and offer me. When it comes to taking the leaves and not the fruit, what we're really telling ourselves, what our sages are teaching us to do, is to train ourselves to go with the superconscious, to use our mind to the fullest of its ability. But we have to have what, what Hasidut calls bitul, nullification of the ego. Don't come at your learning like the date. Don't come at it, uh, don't come at it just based on your own intellectual preferences. We have to be able to put ourselves aside to really hear what is being taught to us. You know, I once saw that the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote a letter to yeshiva students and he says to them, before you learn something, you should read it 18 times. But even when I'm learning, even when we begin to learn, there have to, has to be both of the dimensions. The aspect of the date that I'm really engaged intellectually involved with my own unique way of thinking and enjoying it and at the same time the dimension of the leaves that the, of, of the, the palm, that lulav which is tasteless, it's something beyond my ego is surrendered to God whether it is in that or whether with the na'anuim, the movements, what I'm really inculcating into myself is this notion that connecting with God through the study of Torah is the highest of all endeavors. But if my ego is involved, then I've lost it. I keep on looking for what is between the lines, just outside the realm of my own awareness. And ultimately what we see is that all of the, the four species have an aspect that is connected with bitul, with nullification. So for example, even the etrog, which might become very arrogant, such a person might say, look, I'm very learned and I fulfill so many mitzvahs. That person might become arrogant. So the word etrog uh, is made up of four letters which stand in Hebrew for the phrase, don't bring me to uh, the, the foot of arrogance. Like, don't bring me to being <coughs> arrogant in any way. That etrog reminds itself I don't want to make myself full. And it is precisely through this divesting of our own ego, connecting with something that is much beyond us, that two things happen. A, we gain access to our most potent self. And B, we are able to connect with another person. So when the sages tell us we have to bind them all together, take four species and bind them, and they will atone one for the other. They atone one for the other only when they are united together. And the only way we can unite together is when we divest ourselves of our own ego consciousness. That's the leaves of the willow, uh, the, the leaves of the willow and also the leaves of the lulav. I bless us. We should all be able to have a very happy Sukkot, we should be able to connect one with the other, do the work that is necessary for connecting, and once we connect, accomplish the healing that we each have to give to each other. Good Yom Tov.